Hello and welcome to Filmwalk. This is Glenn. I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And tonight we're going to be reviewing the new film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe from director Kate Shortland, Black Widow. We have to go back to where it all started. Where did you think I was all this time? We have unfinished business. My girls are the toughest girls in the world. I'm sorry. We had our orders and we played our roles. It wasn't real. It was real to me. To me? You were everything. Bring her home. Could you on time? She's such a mom. That was from the trailer of Black Widow, the new film from director Kate Shortland, based on a screenplay by Eric Pearson and story by Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson, starring Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, O.T. Fagbenlay, Olga Karolenko, and Ray Winstone. Daniel, this film is the first film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in over two years, and it focuses on a character who had her last appearance was dead. Uh, So going into this film, I think the film runs into the same sort of raison d'etre problem that uh, the likes of Rogue One or Solo, a Star Wars story runs into, which is a prequel that needs to justify its own existence in some way. So Daniel, I will put it to you. One, did you like this film? And two, did you uh, did you see could you understand while watching it what purpose it served? Ooh, is there a quiz at the end? There's no right or wrong answer to this. I feel like you're going to quiz me at the end. I thought it was fine. I was really happy to see ScarJo finally get her own, you know, Avengers movie, like her own Marvel film. Uh, it was something I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. Sort of a deal where I, until the credits, like the opening credits rolled, I was like, this isn't happening. ScarJo didn't get a movie. Yeah, not only did she get a movie, but that film made $80 million at the domestic box office. I believe another $60 million on Disney Plus Premier Access. I believe you and I both watched it at home. And another $40 million in international box office. So this is a film that grossed $200 million on its opening weekend, which means... We are back to a normal a normal box office number. So not only good for ScarJo, good for Kate Shortland, and good for the MCU, but, you know, good for the box office. People are ready to go back to the movies, at least in the United States, where the vaccine has rolled out. The rest of the world, I'm sure, is going to be catching up soon. They can, they can watch you on Disney+, Plus, right? Indeed. So, Daniel, how did you like it? I think it suffers from the same problems that a lot of the uh, Marvel Universe films have, at least like the recent ones, in that it has trouble balancing tone. It either tries to be too light or too serious, and it, ha- it kind of fumbles doing either or. Uh, but at the same time, I really like seeing a superhero that was human. I think ScarJo would fit very well in the Fast and Furious universe. I think she has the same level of superpowers. 
I was also going to compare this to the Fast and Furious films. I'm glad you went there because I thought the action in this film, many much of which involved insane stunts happening with vehicles, was more coherently executed than in the most recent Fast and Furious movie. There was a lot fewer magnets being used in this film. Indeed. <laughs> That's for sure. All the all the stuff that was done with cars felt like it could actually be done with cars. Um, I will tell you, I think the purpose of this movie was twofold. It was to give ScarJo her swan song from the uh mcu and to introduce florence Pugh, who's new scar joe uh for the disney plus productions that are going to move forward that's what i think the purpose of this this was a one character xx and another character of similar capabilities and background enters yeah, I mean, that is literally what's happening with the Hawkeye series. We have uh, Hawkeye, as played by Jeremy Renner, training the new Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, as played by Haley Steinfeld, and that's coming out in the fall. But uh, And we sort of saw a version of that, at least some people saw a version of that in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I didn't make it more than a couple episodes into that one, but um, there's there's a lot of that going on. Loki, there are lots of different versions of Loki in that series as well. So, um, Mark... The MCU is definitely just playing around with the notion that, you know, it's anyone can wear the mask. They literally went there with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, you know, we're ready to phase out these actors. They've made their money and they're moving on. And uh, we've got to got to bring in the next gen. Got to bring it, in the next, the next um, storyline. It reminds me of Lucha Libre, where um, the mask gets passed down to the next person who has the mask. And they're, they're the, the next version of the character. That it definitely feels like a, a handoff, like a baton handoff. Uh, a little bit, and and honestly, I, I've I've always liked Florence Pugh. Whether she's doing Shakespeare or or MCU, she's delightful, and I think she was the best parts of this. I think ScarJo gets lost in her own movie a little bit, and they introduce some characters I honestly could give a shit about. I'm real curious who you mean because there are two characters. The two actors I was going to praise in this movie were Florence Pugh and David Harbour, and I'm curious what you think of his character. Uh, David Harbour is a silly character who could have easily not been in the film and would have been fine. Interesting. Like, is he is he a good actor? Absolutely. Is his Russian Captain America version or Captain Soviet, whatever? His superhero alias was the Red Guardian, and he's supposed to be the Soviet Union's Captain America. Red Guardian, okay. So, fine. Red Guardian gets introduced, but it, it felt like he was almost unnecessary in this film, and I wanted to see more ScarJo. I wanted to see ScarJo do stuff. I didn't want to see the Red Guardian. I didn't care about the fake family so much. I like the dynamic between Yelena and um, you know Black Widow and Natasha. And yeah. Natasha, yes. Um, I call, I called her Nat for short in my notes. It's easier to keep track of. <laughs> I just refer to her as ScarJo. Um, like I like that dynamic. I, I think the the Red Room stuff. Could have been a lot cooler than it was, um, but we can get into that with spoilers if we're doing a spoiler section. Are we doing a spoiler section? I think we are. I think there's some stuff we need to talk about here. I think that if you've seen a Marvel Cinematic Universe film before, which let's face it, you have, or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, uh, I think you've got a pretty good idea of where this is going in the, in the the third act. There's very little at stake in this film, simply because uh, Black Widow herself, we know, is going to die. But that doesn't mean we don't know that she's going to have some sort of significant action upon the world uh, during her time there. This takes place after uh, Captain America Civil War. Um, so ScarJo is on the run. From, you, have, you got me doing it now. So Black Widow is on the run from 
from the U.S. government and from whatever world authority enforces the Sokovia Accords, uh, who have slapped all of her Avengers buddies in prison, uh, who, who sided with her, except for Captain America, who's in the wind. And yeah, she is on the run herself. So that is where we, she starts off at the beginning of this film, with very few allies and sort of going into hiding, and then immediately gets swept up in this new sort of spy intrigue related to her own backstory. I'm so amused that in this MCU, the UN has some teeth. <laughs> like, now now it's the world council and they threatened to nuke manhattan the first time they were introduced so we know they've got some teeth i come on the un the un's a wonderful idea but no no follow through this version of the un which clearly is tight with the u.s government because S- secretary ross is the u.s secretary of state and is somehow like the leader of the world police but he was the one behind the raft he put all of those those superheroes who sided with captain america in the in civil war in a floating prison so basically they're not to be fucked with you know it's as it's as yelena says you know if if uh if drakov or whoever the bad guys are come to kill you then one of the big one of the big guys is going to come and avenge you and she's like wait who are the big guys and she says well i don't think the i don't think the god from space has to take ibuprofen after a fight <laughs> so the movie's definitely got some awareness of of black widow's status as a lesser avenger she is a human being with exceptionally good training in dealing out murder uh, and staying alive in, in heightened superhero combat but she is not a superhero herself insofar as she does not have superpowers she's just very very good right she's very capable she has the gymnastics assassin skills and honestly i think captain marvel renders most things moot right (laughs) like captain marvel could just fly into like whatever building the bad guys are in and it'll all just blow up which is why we use Captain Marvel sparingly. <laughs> she only shows up to punch the spaceship at the very end. <laughs> I, but I like, I, like, I like the idea of a superhero that's more like in the Fast 9 series in that they're mortal, but just incredibly hard to kill. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and very capable, more so than regular mortals, but they're not, they're not magic, right? They're, they're only magic, I guess, is their character shield. I have no prior familiarity with Kate Shortland as a director or with uh, cinematographer Gabriel Beristain, but this film has some of the best shot and most coherently staged action that I have seen in a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. I would say since uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, the car chases, the runway chase at the beginning, and the shootout, uh, really just quite quite well done stuff. And stuff that did not need to be overly elaborate. That runway chase involved a small plane and a couple of SUVs, and it was exciting. It was legitimately thrilling. I mean, it's this fake family, this squad of Russian sleeper agents who've been there for three years um and in my notes i have here so their backstory is the americans like i just finished watching uh four four or five seasons or whatever it was of the americans uh with soviet sleeper agents living their entire lives in the united states so uh but that was that was sort of the level of severity that i that i dealt to this i mean they, they kind of try to downplay it later on they're like well it was only three years and it wasn't a real family anyway and i'm kind of with you that that attempt to both downplay and also rely on the sentimentality of this family was was working against this film. At the same time, the, the actors were clearly trying to sell that this is a real family in spite of themselves, in spite of all the things they've done to each other, in spite of all the time and separation between them, in spite of the fact that they kind of all hate each other, they are still a family. And I don't think that you can take just Yelena and uh, and Nat's relationship as a as a sole entity because none of them have seen each other in twenty years. They are all doing a family reunion for the first time, which means that uh, David Harbor 
what he's doing in this film as this sort of has-been superhero who is self-aggrandizing, who is always trying to speechify, who is always trying to find the moment to have, you know, this is when I'm going to finally connect with my daughters and the closest thing to a normal life that I have ever done as a man, even though I spent most of my life in prison for no good for reason. reasons. Yeah. And I, I really found that quite engrossing here. Um, the family worked for me, but... I I'm I completely agree with you that ScarJo kind of felt like she was playing second fiddle to a to a newly introduced ensemble here, an ensemble that we know cannot really continue except as 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 epilogue to Black Widow's story, yeah. which we already know is over. You know what I like was the opening montage, which shows like young uh, young Natasha and young Yelena and the family oh, in yeah. Ohio. The, the little girl they cast as young Florence Pugh, uh, I don't know if it was just they styled her hair perfectly or just they found a really good matching face for that actor. But I was like, oh, that's Florence Pugh. He's right. Um, but they had uh, the Smells Like King Spirit cover by Melina J. And yes. that was good. Like, I thought, I was like, is this a Born Identity movie? <laughs> like... That's kind of how they played it, and it's a bit of a cliche at this point, taking the, the millennial nostalgia, you know, grunge or rock song and doing a children's choir version of it. In this case, it was a girls' acapella group, but similar thing. Uh, but it kind of worked. They did a training montage. They're like, here's what happens after this family was in the wind and going their separate ways, and it was not a happy time. They're like, ooh, this Drakoff guy, he's in all the photos with Bill Clinton. I wonder what he's up to. He seems like a bad guy. So what'd you think of Ray Winstone as Drakoff? I mean, Dreykov's a stupid, stupid villain, but uh, <laughs> I like Ray Wingsong, uh, uh quite a bit. Um, I just, his character was as useless as the uh, rich uh, uh, little uh, despot from Fast 9, or F9, I should say. Like, it was the same, like, he has the red room, he has the, the widows. I, I mean, fine, but, like, nothing really interesting happens with that, and honestly, Captain Marvel could just fly into that building, and all Captain the windows Marvel's are dead. Captain Marvel's not here, and she deals with she deals with larger-scale threats than just somebody covertly toppling world governments. Th- this movie makes great fun of villain monologuing, because we already know this is a strength of Natasha Romanoff, which is getting the bad guy to spill their plan by feigning vulnerability in front of them, and we see her execute that plan a number of times in this movie, and I, I did appreciate that. You're a POS, right? Personal science. The pheromone thing. We're, we're going to have to save that for spoilers. Yeah, I, but, that's uh, a spoiler thing. But like, as, as a person of science, like I was watching this, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I had some real problems with how that was executed, but it, it, it was it was clever. This movie relies on, an, uh, on a number of mechanisms of absolute mind control, which, if they existed in the real world, would be some of the most terrifying things in the world. So I have to hand it to this movie for coming up with a threat that is of the level that Natasha Romanoff is perfectly suited to deal right. with. Because this is an absolutely terrifying, like, whatever they're doing in these people's brains to to control them like they're, like they're playing a video game character, and whatever they're doing, you know, we learn very early in the film there's a mechanism to switch that mind control off. So now we've got our big bad and we've got our remedy here. We've got those right out of the gate. It's just a matter of getting everything to the right place in time. You know, Drakoff's the big bad, right? But, like, he has, like, a Boba Fett on his side called Taskmaster, who is like a mimic. With a really confusing set of powers. I thought Taskmaster was, like, I had to learn about those powers after the fact, because I wasn't really sure in the movie, aside from, oh, just, like, really good hand-to-hand combat. But that was that was it, and, like, what I found out later was, this is a beloved character <laughs> from the comics, and uh, people were really disappointed by, by how, they were, how it was represented. 
Interesting. So this is a Deadpool in uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine kind of situation where, uh, you know, brought to you by the same studio that sewed his fucking mouth shut in the first place. We eventually do learn who is under the mask, and that person is kind of a non-entity in the film. It, like, I, I was hoping for more there. And t- to the extent that this person's powers were just sort of a mishmash of various things that we had seen from the from other Avengers and from other characters in the film. It was kind of just whatever they needed it to be um, from from scene to scene, which was unfortunate. Just a, just another heavy for them to fight. In the same way that the Red Guardian, who is a much more cool-looking character, honestly, with this big Russian beard and uh, and just tatted up prison, uh, kind of over the hill with a bil- with a beer belly, barely squeezing into his uh, into his outfit from the old days. We sort of have to learn what the what their powers are by virtue of seeing their actions. But uh, but I will grant for most of the movie, their powers don't matter all that much. They're getting around with vehicles. They're getting around. They're doing car chases. They're doing sort of small scale stunts that even a regular human could do because we have to ha- we have to do stuff that. Natasha is able to do as well. Right. Um, I mean, Natasha is the least powerful of the Avengers, right? Like, less so than Hawkeye. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Hawkeye fires his dozen arrows, and then he's out. He's down for the count. I feel like Black Widow's uh, sort of uh, wrist weapon thing has an unlimited charge, so I kind of feel like she's more useful. Mm. Uh, between the two, I think she has demonstrated more utility than Hawkeye over the course of the series. I'm going to throw that on that gauntlet. You know, Natasha has a really interesting backstory, something I didn't really uh, remember from from previous uh, Avengers and and MCU films. So she murders a child (laughs) as as collateral. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a darker Avengers film or a darker MCU entry. And I was a bit disappointed with the payoff for that because I would think that if you murder a child to get back at the guy that you you say is responsible or is responsible for your horrible upbringing, there's got to be some guilt there, right? Like yeah. the child was not the child was harmless, uh, and and you using that child as collateral damage to get to the person that that wronged you, I would think that there'd be something more there than I guess what this film delivered. You know, I remember back in the first season of 24, uh, this is going back to 2001, so 20 years ago, but uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character, Jack Bauer, um, has a whole special forces, special ops kind of backstory. He's done all these shady missions. He is kind of a Black Widow type character where he's been this sort of shady assassin figure in the in, in other countries, and we don't really know what he's gotten up to until it turns out the big bad uh, is a guy named Victor Drazen, played by Dennis Hopper, speed villain Dennis Hopper, RIP, uh, one of the greats. Um, not one of his better performances, unfortunately. He's doing a very bad accent on that show. But uh, the premise of it is that he is taking revenge on Jack Bauer and his family because Jack uh, and, and his special forces team went halfway around the world, planted a bomb to try and take this guy out. And he was some manner of genocidal dictator. Like, he deserved what was coming to him to some extent. But what happened was Jack blew up one of his lookalikes, and, uh, but also his actual family, his actual wife and daughter, died in that explosion. Now, we, we are meant to somewhat sympathize with Jack because he did not mean to kill the wife and daughter. He didn't know that they were there. He thought he was killing Victor Drazen by himself. Instead, he killed his lookalike, and he also killed his actual family. When he ends up getting apprehended by Drazen, and Drazen's explaining to him, like, hey, this is why all this is happening, and Jack Bauer's like, you put your family next to one of your lookalikes, that means you knew that somebody was trying to kill you. You are responsible for their death. And I'm like, wow, that is quite a flex, Jack Bauer. When, uh, you know, you go halfway around the world and blow somebody up, and you kill their family i'm pretty sure you're responsible for any collateral damage that that gets pulled off there yeah that's victim blaming one-on-one right but like scarjo knows what she's doing and it's intentional 
she chose to do a bad, bad thing. And it's, uh, and they talk about it in terms of brainwashing. They talk about it in terms of ideological purity. But Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, was choosing to do this at the time. The mind control that we see in this film was a later innovation. And it was a result of her defection uh, to, to S.H.I.E.L.D. earlier in the film. That is the reason why they said, okay, well, we're going to revive this program in secret. And we're going to do it with absolute mind control. So that's that's the threat that is at work in this film here, is, is this army of of all-female assassins, widows as they're called. They're all dressed like Black Widow. And uh, In fact, on the Wikipedia page for this film, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but Florence Pugh's character is also identified as Black Widow. So they're apparently all known as Black Widows. That is what they're up against. And an army of, of highly trained assassins that basically have no choice in the matter and can be switched on and off like they're not even real people. So it makes it hard to invest in any individual one of them. They're all kind of just victims. Yeah, I mean, I mean Drakov's just basically uh, the world's greatest keyboard warrior. Yeah, he's the puppet master. He, he, he might as well be just dropping drone strikes. And that that is maybe what the movie's alluding to with this. But uh, But I don't know, it's... I, I think I, I want to talk more about this and how that ideology is confronted later in the film, but we need to get into spoilers for that. What did you think of the action in this film? You know, it was pretty coherent. I was able to follow everything. I think the the ending, uh, I guess the last third of the film, that gets very silly. That gets very classic Marvel-esque when it comes to the combat. But up until then, all, all the action is coherent. It's well shot. There's no shaky cam. I think there's a weird fight between Yelena and Natasha in a uh, in a safe house. Uh, I was like, why why are they fighting? <laughs> but I was like, oh, because we have to like, we have to establish that they're both evenly matched for the the baton. You know, That's the real reason. The other reason is so that they can show off. Hey, we're doing the same sort of fight as the Bourne movies, but we're we've moved on from shaky cam. You're allowed to see what's going on during this fight. Yeah. So. Um, but uh, honestly, shaky cam is something, it's a cheap shot that people take at the Bourne films. I actually really enjoyed Paul Greengrass's shaky cam in those films because it felt like the fights felt like they were much more out of control. They felt like a brutal, incoherent affair for the people that are in the fights as well as the people watching it, which is what a fight actually is like in real life. How many fights have you been in? Which is what I understand a fight is like in real life. There you go. There you go. What we see here is a much slicker version of that, but it's a Marvel film, and I kind of expect that. So it didn't really, it didn't feel sterile. It didn't feel useless. It was very good choreography for these two like five foot five women just whooping ass on each other. So are they the same height? I think that Florence Pugh is shorter. I think they made they did a good job to make them look the same height for most of this film. But I think they're uh, I think I believe ScarJo is taller, but it's not important. Um, that looks very important. Now we have to get in the shoe size. It means that Florence Pugh can sneak into tighter holes and, and tighter spaces, <laughs> can crawl through vents. I mean, you stick wherever John McClane can go, two Florence Pughs can exactly. go. Exactly, is very important. She should re- uh, reboot the Die Hard franchise. Oh, I would watch the hell out of that. I would absolutely watch that. What did we think of the accents in this film? Uh, they're not good. <laughs> you know, honestly, it's a pet peeve of mine, but it bothered me that they were speaking, that Florence Pugh was speaking with a Russian accent, even though I thought her Russian accent was impeccable in this film. I thought she did one of the best ones here. I didn't really understand why she was speaking with a Russian accent when she was raised as a native English speaker. That's That didn't make uh, Maybe she grew up the rest of the way, like in Russia. Or maybe that's part of the Wiggo training, that they're all actually Russian. She was only six years old when the fake family was blown up, so it, it's hard to say. I, I did. I only thought about that for a moment at the beginning, and then it didn't bother me anymore. It was just a choice the movie was making, an aesthetic choice. It didn't bother me, but 
David Harbour, I thought, did a fine job. Rachel Weisz was definitely sort of sleepwalking through this movie. I thought this was one of her worst performances I've ever seen. She was the mother character, right? Yes, yes. She was Melina? Melina, yeah. And, uh, yeah, she's the scientist. We see very little of her in the film. I think she's she's got maybe ten minutes of combined screen I, time. I have problems with that character. I mean, we can talk more about her when we get to the spoilers. Yeah, so. I think I the spoiler section for sure. I really had some questions about accountability with that character. Fair enough. Well, shall we go ahead and get into it? I think so, and I like the film overall. Like, I, I don't think I loved it by any stretch in the imagination, but I had a good time watching it, and I was just really happy ScarJo got that film, because I believe the Marvel execs didn't think that a female-led superhero movie could make money until Wonder Woman became a thing. Yeah, I think this works. And even then, before we got a Black Widow movie, we got Captain Marvel, which made a billion dollars. So they, they oh, had yeah. a, a sort of proven track record here. Black Widow had to climb a taller hill because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, but I think it's probably going to end up making as much money as Captain Marvel or as much money as any of the other ones. Black Widow being one of the original Avengers makes her a character people are interested in. It makes her a character that I'm interested in. I mean, she's been around since Iron Man 2. This is a character we followed for a long way. And even though I did not really see, I was a little, I found this movie conceptually to be, to be a bit of a depressing proposition after Avengers Infinity War. I found that those thoughts kind of left me as soon as the film was over with. I wasn't thinking about the fact that I knew she was going to die. I was just thinking about this this one comic book story. Like, oh, here's this character that I've seen whoop-ass in a bunch of films. Yeah, this is She's doing a standalone quest. adventure. And, exactly, a side quest. And uh, so I... I will say I fully retract any hesitation that I had about the need for this movie. Because uh, watching the movie, if... This movie could have been made before we saw the character die in Infinity War. It might have even added some additional resonance to that death in Infinity War. We can't know that. We can't do yeah. that counterfactual because that's not that's not the order of things. But this film works pretty well on its own. The movie this most strongly reminds me of is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Both in terms of trying to brainwash and unbrainwash people and also sort of all of these conventional action scenes that are really well executed. And then a big third act CGI heavy Marvel set piece for the end. It definitely goes down a lot of the same rabbit holes we've seen, but I think it is fundamentally just a solid B-plus uh, MCU film, so definitely worth checking out. It's a DLC. Exactly. If you want a side quest they put a decent amount of effort into, this is it. All right, well, from here on out, spoilers for Black Widow. So I'm going to talk about the Taskmaster reveal here first because I was also because I saw that Olga Kurilenko was in the film and unfortunately I had this reveal spoiled for me. It was all over Twitter uh, within a day of the movie coming out. So I already knew that Taskmaster was Drakov's daughter, but I was like, okay, this could be a moment for Olga Kurilenko. Was literally a Bond girl in one of the shittiest like Daniel Craig Bond films, Quantum of Solace. Uh, it's not a it's not an actress that I've seen do all that many all that many interesting or in depth roles. So I was kind of like, oh, we're gonna. See See something interesting from this character and that is not what we got we she barely showed her face in this movie and she had maybe two lines of dialogue she had zero lines of dialogue i don't think she speaks at she, all she whispered a little something at the end that was it um she said is he gone i think that might have been her only line of dialogue in the entire film so she's boba fett meets uh darth maul i'm not familiar with taskmaster like, i was not from either. the from the comics but I read afterwards that Taskmaster is supposed to be like this very entertaining, uh, mimic, uh, you know, character, and this is the polar opposite of that. Right. 
Not not a charismatic villain. And not only did I not care about it being Dreykov's daughter, it was like a mile away. I was like, that's definitely Dreykov's daughter. Because nobody stays dead in the MCU, even after yep. a Thanos snap, unless we, are, we see the burial. Unless we see the dismembered corpse and we put each of the pieces into separate graves, yes. And then there's a priest that, you know, blesses the parts. And then we're like, all right, they're actually dead. Yeah, we can't reassemble those after God's gotten involved. <laughs> so there's no, like, Taskmaster, the reveal that Dreykov's daughter meant nothing to me because that character's not that interesting. I didn't well, really understand the powers until I read about what they were supposed to be later. And I, she has no lines. Let's be fair to the movie here. Dreykov's daughter means something to... Natasha means the fact that she did this thing that she really feels bad about and she feels responsible for the state of the woman before her, as well as all the damage that that woman has done uh, under under Dreykov's tutelage, which she would not have been able to do. You know, he handed Dreykov his greatest weapon. So that arguably makes Natasha responsible for this new generation of black widows that have been brainwashed. There's a whole Disney princess metaphor that I could go down for that, but I'm not going to. But it's cheap. There's no accountability for, for you know, Natasha killing this girl because, oh, no worries, she's alive. So all, yeah. all Natasha has to do is, you know, throw the pixie ducks in, in her face and everything is good. And that's... Well, and that's- and that's what makes Olga Kurilenko such a non-entity in this film, because we don't really even have a sense that, A, she had any control over her actions up until this point, and B, that she has any idea that Natasha was responsible for her disfigurement. So it's not that she's not angry at Natasha, it's that she doesn't have the information to be angry at Natasha. She doesn't have the force of will. She was just a, a meat puppet for, for Dracov for all these years. What I think would have worked a little bit better is Natasha, you know, punches the pixie dust vial, it goes into uh, Taskmaster's face... And, you know, Natasha's like, are we good? And then Taskmaster's like, thanks for the free will, punches her right in the face. Right. And he says, I want to do this anyway. <laughs> but now I choose to kill you. <laughs> yeah. She was not a character. She was a device. Uh, I, I think that that was a missed opportunity. But I also think that I'm reluctant to push too hard on that because I think that ultimately... What she did to Dracov's daughter is irreversible in the same way that what was done to her, that what was done to Yelena, that was what was done to all these girls is irreversible. And I think that is maybe the point that the movie was going for, that that as a as a perpetrator of trauma upon somebody else, it is not for you to receive redemption. It is not for you to receive forgiveness. That's impossible. The damage that you've done is done. You have you have changed that person irrevocably. And for for Natasha to be both a recipient of trauma and also an inflictor of trauma, <laughs> and she's got this father figure in her life who pulls her and her and her adoptive sister close and says, "I am so proud of both of you. You've killed so many people." <laughs> I think that there's a lot of her confronting the monster within that I think the various dudes that have written for her in the past have not really fundamentally understood. Speaking of accountability and like confronting the monster within, you know, Rachel Weiss as Molina is someone who tortures animals on her farm is complicit with the rec room the entire time. And because I guess she helps in the end, like that vindicates her. That's bullshit. Like, yeah, she's a bad person, but I, and I had a feeling you were going to find her to be irredeemable because of what she did with those pigs. I figured that was going to be a deal breaker for you. Well, aside from that, like think of all the girls that she's, you know, she works with Dreykov that entire time. And just because she turns on Dreykov at the end doesn't vindicate her actions and say, OK, clean slate. That's not how that works. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate because I've seen two better versions of this before where a where a mother is forced to choose between her family, her fake family, uh, and her job and ends up sort of fluctuating back and forth between that, those choices. And I, I've seen that in, I've seen that on Alias and I've seen that on The Americans. And I think that is a premise that fundamentally works a bit better on TV because we can see that those relationships spelled out in a more meaningful way over a longer period of time. I think that Milena was, again, like uh, like Olga Korolenko, like Taskmaster, was more of a device than a character. So in addition to this being a pretty subpar performance from Rachel Weisz, I, I think that there just wasn't a lot to this character. She was just somebody who was there to help get them into the Red Room to take it down at the end. Speaking of the Red Room, when, when we, we zoom in, like when we finally get there, I was like, oh, we're going to Cloud City. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was ridiculous. It did not feel like a floating platform. It felt like a stationary platform. So I, I wanted it to just be magical anti-gravity bullshit. Like I didn't want it to be jets or rockets or propellers. And it was somehow all three of those things simultaneously so i it was it was ridiculous if they wanted to make it a cloud city they should have just made it a cloud city put it on top of a giant fucking balloon how does captain marvel not accidentally fly into it you know the sky is a very large place daniel she's like oopsie what was that (laughs) i thought it was silly i was because we have a boba fett character i was like is there gonna be a darth vader character in cloud city Ultimately, I think I enjoyed the one-on-one confrontation between Natasha and uh, and Drakov. <laughs> pheromones will protect me from gunfire. <laughs> yeah, so so the pheromone lock thing, I I think I would have liked it better if Milena had not warned her about that in advance, because that's what get reve- gets revealed is that Milena sort of gave her a way around it. Yeah, I would rather. I would rather have had him monologue his way into that and explain, like, yeah, you can't, as long as you're smelling me, you won't be able to inflict any violence on me. It was kind of a cool visual. Her trying to pull the trigger, her trying to stab him and just being unable to. It was goofy. But I would have rather had her solve that problem on her own by just, like, plugging her nose or holding her breath. I I would have liked her to, like, just walk ten feet away and then shoot him in the head. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to shoot you from across the room. I'm gonna open a window and then I'm gonna shoot you from over here because it turns out I'm an expert sharpshooter. And Sorry. he's like, uh, 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 my pheromones are very pungent. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where if you, you know, on Jessica Jones, uh, the character of Kilgrave uh, has a power of absolute mind control as well. And apparently in the comics, his was also pheromone based. I was like, that guy. I liked that the character keeps a low profile on the show. Like he doesn't try to take over the world with his power. He just sort of tries to have absolute power with us with a small coterie of people in his life because. You try to take over the world with that power and it's smell-based, you're going to have a bunch of guys in hazmat suits show up and shoot you dead. Or you're going to have a drone drop a bomb on you. I have to say, the whole ending battle was like the ship falling, or the, the, the cloud city falling apart, and nothing lands on them fine. Um, even though that, like, I didn't understand what, what took Drakov so long to get to the chopper. Like, what does Arnold Schwarzenegger always say? Get to the chopper, right? Get to the chopper. You also get in the fucking van. I was like, why is he leaving, like, now? Like, he should have left immediately. But whatever. Um, it was... I liked, I liked how the movie concluded. I was confused as to why uh, Natasha gave herself up to the Secretary of State guy, but then I realized... There's other Avengers films that she was a part of, so she has to continue It's that. two things. One, she wasn't sure that the plan was going to work, and she wanted S.H.I.E.L.D. to show up and take down the Red Room, even if she failed. That's what I took it as. She was sacrificing herself to make sure the Red Room got taken down. Nice. Um, in the end, uh, she ended up needing to sacrifice herself for her family, so it ended up being a smaller-scale sacrifice, but one that was more meaningful to the character herself. That was how I interpreted that. So, uh, what what did you think of the uh, ending, uh, the closing credits scene with uh, 
you know, Elaine from Seinfeld and Florence Pugh and the setup for the Disney Plus subscription. Like, were you into that? Yeah, so she is apparently playing a character named Valentina who appears on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I did not make it far enough into Falcon and the Winter Soldier to see this character, so it meant very little to me. Um, it's interesting that she blames Hawkeye for for Black Widow's death because I guess that's technically true, but, but Hawkeye was trying as... Like, nobody else knows what happened on that planet. They just know that the two of them went there and only Hawkeye came back and that you had to sacrifice somebody that you loved the most. But what we saw in the film was Hawkeye was not responsible for her death. They were both having a suicide off and uh, both trying to be the one who sacrificed for the other. And uh, and ultimately, Nat ended up winning that fight and, uh, and diving off the cliff instead. So he is not responsible for her death. And to say that is to uh, sort of reduce Black Widow's sacrifice. You know, in this film, she's sacrificing her freedom to save her family and to make sure that the Black Widows get the other rest of the Black Widows get taken down in avengers infinity war she is sacrificing her life to save half the universe and she never gets to know that she was successful or not but without the without the infinity stones which they do end up using to unsnap uh later on the entire you know half the universe is fucked so black widow's sacrifice is meaningful so I, i don't know the fact that the idea that her sister is going to avenge her by killing hawkeye just feels like kind of a silly notion to me Maybe it'll end up happening, maybe it won't. No, because you know they're just going to come together and ally against something else. Yeah, they're going to, you know, she's going to show up to kill Hawkeye, and Hawkeye's going to be like, wait, what? What are you doing here? And then he'll explain himself to her, and she'll be like, okay, fine, I still hate you. Yeah, it'll, it'll be Drake off in like a, a burn suit you know, coming back. <laughs> and you'd be like, you thought you killed me a second time, but you can't kill me. I'm the keyboard warrior. However,. That scene did not just have Valentina coming in there to uh, to task her to kill Hawkeye. What that scene had was her sort of weeping over Nat's grave, and I thought that was a nice moment in spite of in spite of that. Um, you know, whatever whatever ended up happening with the two of them going their separate ways, she still had a feeling for her. She still had affection for her sister, and still thought of her that way, and uh, and was still sad when she died. So it it, it you know. Black Widow does not go unmourned. We obviously know that the rest of the Avengers mourn her as well, even though she doesn't get a fucking funeral along with uh, Tony Stark at the end of it. You can't upstage Tony Stark. I guess maybe because from their from the perspective of the remaining Avengers, she's been dead for five years, so maybe she already had her funeral five years ago. That's my own. That's the only way I can. I have an explanation for that, but um, but you know, it, it's 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 not a recent wound for them, but. But yeah, the you know she she is mourned by her family. That's that was the point of that scene. The rest of it was just window dressing for whatever comes next. Well, uh, what's coming next for the uh, Film Walk podcast? We got anything in the hopper? Man, I have I have no idea. We got Gunpowder Milkshake coming up. We've got all kinds of blockbusters. There's like a year's worth of films coming out in the last the last four months of this year because they have to do they have to play catch up from all the stuff that got shoved back from COVID nineteen. There are I think. Two more MCU films coming out this year. Uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and the Eternals are both coming out. Um, I was quite pleased, randomly, I, I was listening to Ramin Javadi's score of Game of Thrones this afternoon while I was working. And uh, that that dude's, the way that Game of Thrones has fallen out of the popular culture, I hadn't listened to it in a while. But man, that is some amazing music. And he is going to be returning to do the score for the Eternals. First time he has done a Marvel score since Iron Man in 2008. So I'm pretty stoked for that. As far as what's coming next, uh, yeah, I ended up I had I had my in laws visiting this weekend, so uh, we only ended up doing one film because it's hard to watch movies when you got family in town. But uh, what would Dom say to that? He would say, "There's nothing more important than family. <laughs> nothing more important than family." Are you drinking Corona with them? No, no, I almost did a Negro Modelo with them at one point, but that was it. It's not the same. You have to have Corona on ice, and then with the barbecue in the backyard, and then Paul Walker shows up. 
In the first movie, the Coronas are turned away from the camera, though. It's like they hadn't gotten that check yet. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, you'll find out what we're going to review next week, um, you know, whenever we get around to deciding it. So, uh, Daniel, any final thoughts about Black Widow? If this is the last Black Widow installment in the MCU, thank you, ScarJo, for your, your service. And I hope you got that money. That's a wrap for ScarJo, and uh, and yeah, she is. Um, you know, I think she's been an asset to the to the MCU. I think that a character that was not taken all that seriously in Iron Man Two was kind of just this oddball little side character to become one of the Avengers and to go as far and to do as many things as this character has done. Um, ultimately, I I remain unimpressed by Hawkeye as a character, mainly because I remain unimpressed by Jeremy Renner as an actor. How dare you! That's one more thing that uh, that at the end of this film, Julia Louis Dreyfus referring to. Jeremy Renner as kind of a cutie. No. Holy Lord, that's the least believable thing I've ever seen in BMC. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's like he's like ruggedly good looking, but I wouldn't say cute. I mean, he's been chiseled out of something. That's all I'm going to say. Well, if you have any feedback on our discussion of Black Widow, or if you're Jeremy Renner and you're coming to kick our ass, uh, you know, I guess kick I guess his ass. I don't have a problem with how you look. <laughs> at filmwonknet at gmail.com, and we'll, we'll send you a time and place to meet us at the flagpole. <laughs> Uh, thank you for tuning in to filmlock.net and have a good night. Bye.